The archer that shoots badly has a lie ready. Spanish proverb. You want to fight? We'll give you a fight. Welcome to FightCast. Hi, everybody. How's it going? This is David with FightCast here. I am with uh, Cameron Weir. How you doing? Hello. Thanks uh, for having me. We are here at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival, so all the ambient noise that you hear around us, both uh, human and animal, is as a result of being here on the Renaissance Festival site after hours. Uh, so uh, keep that in mind as we go forward. Now, uh, Cameron, uh, I've been wanting to do an episode with you for a long time, dude. Yeah, like um, three years. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, so I just want to say I'm really happy to finally have you on here. So uh, please explain to, to the listeners more or less what it is you do here. Well, I'm a professional bow maker. Excellent. Otherwise known as a bowyer. Uh, yeah, otherwise known as a bowyer. But uh, most people, when when I say bowyer, <laughs> there's one guy. Uh, glassy expressions, I'm guessing. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, glassy expressions. But there was one guy uh, at Penzik. Oh God, would have been like seven years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm there with uh, a friend of mine who happens to be female. Yeah. And we're camping together and everything like that. We're, you know, we're explaining that no, we we aren't boyfriend and girlfriend. You know? <laughs> and and he's like, yeah. So what, what do you what do you do for a living? Because you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm a professional bowyer. And he mishears me and thinks I'm a professional voyeur. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, it's not, not that. I promise, it's not that. <laughs> So <laughs> you do keep your eyes on targets, just uh, you no, know you're not, shooting at them. Yeah, it's different. It, yeah, exactly. yeah. Oh not man. <laughs> oh damn. Anyway, man. Uh, so you make bows for a living. Yes, what, I do. What got you into that line of work, man? Well, uh, if you're familiar with uh, Lady Maud out here at the Renaissance Festival, uh, I, I I am. I don't know you, if our listeners okay. are. Well, you are at least. Yeah. Um. When I was, oh, let's see, about, I want to say 13 yeah. or so, yeah. I, I mean, I've been in the SCA since I was four. The so. Society for Creative Anachronism. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, bear this in mind that I was also active back then, but not as active once I hit, or not as active until I hit, like, probably 11 when I had a crush on a girl that happened to be in my school and also happened to go to meetings. Interesting how that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's totally interesting. I'm going to actually move a little bit so that I can... That's fine, that's fine. ...here. Um, so, anyway, I got back into it. Yeah. And I wanted to get back into doing archery because I had been off, you know, playing... Uh, it was basically called Neighborhood Warfare. It was like uh, Cowboys and Indians, but with modern equipment all right lots of fun i highly recommend it if you're like a kid 11 or 12 i mean it's pretty awesome but either way uh when i was about 13 i was getting back into archery yeah and i had a bunch of hand-me-down bows from my uncle's head i think it was like three yeah and i go into the sca archery practice and i go to get them inspected 
Yeah. And Lady Maud, who was the uh, the the marshal in charge of practice at that time. Yeah. Fails every single one of them for various reasons. You know, bad string, no string, um, uh, fretting on the fiberglass. I mean, they were all fiberglass bows, but, but yeah. like one was fretting, the other one was uh, had been left strong and in various weather conditions. Ooh. And Fiberglass, bear in mind, can take one fuck ton of a beating. Yep. Um, but it eventually will break down, especially the older fiberglass. Oh, yeah. And this is like fiberglass from like the late 60s, early 70s. Okay. Um, so uh, underneath the handle, you could literally see where the, the fibers were, were separating uh, uh, horizontally. Oh, I see. So, you can kind of see the frayed ends of the fiberglass. Yeah. That's oh, not good. No. Yeah, it's not good at all. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pass it. I wouldn't let it out of something like that on my shop these days. Yeah. But, <laughs> but anyway, she bounced them. And yeah. uh, being a snotty little 12-year-old, 12 or 13-year-old, I'm not sure exactly what I was, I go, fine, I'll make my own. And I don't remember the exact phrasing. E- but easier said, it turns out, but, than done. <laughs> but the the sentiment was, do it, I dare you. Okay. So, you know, the exact wording, I don't exact. I, I don't remember what that was. I mean, for God's sake, that was 15 years ago now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ah, it's frightening. I'm getting old. Uh, God damn it, me too. Why did you remind me, you <laughs> I asshole? I know, it sucks, right? What the fuck, dude? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, um, at that time, yeah, I, well, I mean, I'm still, relatively speaking, poor, but I, I make significantly more money than, than I made then. Yeah. At that time, I was a poor uh, junior high student, and my family slash my mother yeah. um, could probably pay for a new bow but it would have been a financial hardship to, to get a bow that I wanted to shoot yeah, kind of thing so I did actually have to make my bow Okay. Um, now this is before like Google was Google so nowadays you just look at Google and you kind of like think and Boom! You get the search result that you're looking for. Like it, you really have the expertise of the world at yeah, your fingertips. Exactly. Like it's it's super freaking easy. You know, you can type in half of a fucking word and it finds it. Yeah. Back then, oh, oh, it was like Bing. Okay. <laughs> it was like Bing. It was bad. It was really yeah. bad as a search engine. Okay. I mean, it, it was it was the best there was, but it was still bad as a search yeah. engine. But you could only find such good info. Yeah. So you type in long bow in there, right? Yeah. Well, search results for like the first 20 freaking pages of it, right? Yeah. Bow ties. How to tie a bow. How to... <laughs> A longbow hill or a longbow Apache helicopter, the longbow system on an Apache helicopter. It's a type of like radar sonar thingy. Oh, I believe you've um, researched this. <laughs> well, yeah, because I used to be a, a modern military nerd too. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so 
like that's that's what you'd get. You'd type in longbow blueprints and you'd get the blueprints to a fucking helicopter. Yeah, and nothing know? in regards to the actual context you're searching for. Yeah, yeah, nothing whatsoever. But so, you eventually found it. Well, I eventually found it, but I didn't eventually find it. Found it. Um, my mother started asking around the SCA meeting. Yeah. Going, is there anybody who knows anything about this that we can talk to? Is are there books? Everything like that. And there's this one guy named Alistair. Yeah. Who's like total kick-ass Mongolian persona, like hardcore period accurate. Okay. Like scary accurate. And he tells my mom about this book called The Boyer's Bible. Alright. So my mom buys this book and my mom so bear in mind I'm one of those children that I don't bother searching for like Christmas gifts because like I'm going to get them anyways what's the point in spoiling the fun kind of thing yeah well she also tends to hide them in plain sight okay alright <laughs> so one day I forget what exactly we were doing but we were cleaning out the bookshelves or something like that and right. I run across this book and it's got a lot of bows in it and then I look at the thing and it says the Bowyer's Bible. I'm like, Mom, we've had something like this all the whole time. She's like, Damn it! <laughs> I was I was planning to give that to you for Christmas. <laughs> well, pretend like you didn't see that for the next two weeks. <sighs> Fine. Okay. I didn't forget that I, I had seen it. Of course, of course but not. Of she, course, how she, could you? She re-hit it, so yeah, I couldn't yeah. find it again for the next two weeks. Anyway, so I start reading that. Um, and bear in mind, I'm also dyslexic too. So, um, reading something, I say this in relative terms. Yeah. So basically what it was, is it was more like she read it to me. Um, okay. Nowadays I have assistive technology and I have coping skills and everything like that. But at Hell that yeah. time, they were still burgeoning and mm -hmm. it, I trying to get through a whole book I still the only book that I've actually instead of a side tangent the only book that I've actually read cover to cover like read yeah I've read thousands of books but they've all been like audiobooks or you know they've been read to me whatever you yeah. want to call it. but the only book that I've actually physically read cover to cover was a herbology book huh it was on on herbs and everything and a lot of that was recipes so I didn't actually read them I kind of skipped past them but yeah, side, side, you know, side tangent. Anyway, yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, so then it was trying to figure out with the Boyer's Bible. Now, the thing that you should remember about the Boyer's Bible is it's like the actual Bible. It's, <laughs> it's dense, a, it's, dense tome. It's it's dense, but it, depending on the author, uh, largely fictional. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Depending on the author, yeah. it's sometimes really ponderous, sometimes just flows like like a breeze. Inconsistent, yeah. Well, it's 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 inconsistent because it's a collection of different authors and they have different oh, yeah, expertise. Yeah. As you're gonna find, yeah. Yeah. So like the regular Bible, it's got a couple different it's got more than a couple different authors in point of fact. Um, but you have to sort of pick which author you prefer yeah and go with them and learn whatever you can from them and then once you've nailed down or at least become relatively proficient in whatever bow or whatever 
style they kind of do, because sometimes it's it's a particular concept that they approach at, sort of like, yeah. this is how you sing you back, this is how you uh, reflex a bow using heat, but not using steam, or this is how okay. you do whatever. The real nitty-gritty technical yeah, college stuff, yeah. yeah. So, you... Um, You pick an author, you stick with that author yeah. until you get proficient. And then once you get proficient in that, you move on to the next author that you find uh, interesting. Yeah. How are we doing on time? We're good. We're okay. good. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that you weren't going to like run out no of No worries. No worries, man. Go on. Uh, so eventually I uh, started um, using this uh, bow design by John, uh, Master John Strunk who's okay. um, world-renowned bowyer. Yeah. Um, and his bow is on the cover of the first volume. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, big deal. Yeah, big deal. He's w one of the original authors of the books. So, there's some... It's a total of four volumes. The first volume is, yeah. like, the, the one that they did, and then they realized, oh... We need to do more volumes. Mm -hmm. We're not actually fitting everything but, in. But here. the point is, he's the author of your textbook, basically. <laughs> he's, well, he's he's the author of the chapter that I started with. Yeah. And to this day, most of my bows are loosely based off of his design. Okay. Now, bear so in, he's he's one of your main influences. He's then. one of my main influences. But bear in mind that since I did my apprenticeship, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um. Uh, my bow design has has changed from what what he does. Yeah. But either way, um, so, so so you use this book and you that that kind of formed your foundation for learning yeah. about the art of uh, bow making. So how did that kind of lead you into having your own business today? Okay. Well, that so one of the things about that that's sort of offered in um, the Bowyer's Bible is hey, while you're practicing, hey, there's a will o' the wisp. <laughs> Because, like, it's the Renaissance Fair, and Willow Lewis I, happened. I think that's actually somebody carrying a lantern. I'm sorry to you're crush just, your... I'm sorry you're to... You're just spoiling I don't it, man. mean to shatter all your magical thinking here, but I gotta... I gotta keep you on task here, so... Buzzkill. <laughs> no, Buzz I gotta keep you on task, man. Come on. Um, okay, so, uh, where was I? Um, forming, so, your, forming your foundation for so your knowledge. When you, when you start when you start doing it, you're, you're gonna break bows, like fucking crazy i believe it first, like they usually say like the first 50 bows but by, by are we the, talking like catastrophic failure when you pull the string for the first time sometimes or? or they just they just don't work yeah. or whatever there's some point where they just do not work yeah um so anyway uh they uh what was it i get good enough at it you keep breaking them. I keep breaking them, but they they offer that you know you give them for f free or reduced price to local kids or whatever. Well, I'm a local kid, so I <laughs> I ended up uh, sort of giving them to friends of mine, my yeah. younger brother, for example. Your early prototypes. My early prototypes. I, for that matter, I still have the first bow I ever made. Really? It's still in contact. Eric, in in one piece it still can shoot would i shoot it no <laughs> well it's actually not not that bad of a tiller but it's got a lift in the 
top limb of the of the back of the bow. Okay, you're gonna have to explain those terms. Yeah. Tiller, what is that? So the tiller is the one thing that separates bowyers from any other woodworker out there. Okay, and that's knowing how to manipulate the materials so you get the bow to bend evenly. Okay, or in a symmetrical fashion. Yeah, or asymmetrical depending on the design of the bow. But, of course, but essentially yeah. predictably and in the way you want it to bend. Yes. Um, and the most efficient way. Okay. So like there's some bows like a Yumi bow, for example, Japanese longbow. Yeah. That are wildly asymmetrical. Yes, they are, yeah. Um if you look at their core, so the center center piece of the um, material, the center slats. Yeah. Um it's actually symmetrical. So where the taper is on the limbs is dead center, but the the overall tiller of the bow is not. The tiller of the bow is asymmetrical. I see what you're talking about now. Okay, it's um, kind of like the center point and the uh, where... Where the handle is. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the tiller is basically looking at, at how the bow is bending. Yeah. And um, that's the one thing that, that basically separates bowyers from any other woodworker. Because basically all the skills that you have in bow making are skills that you can learn in cabinet making, you can learn in luthiery, which is making stringed instruments. Okay. Um, you can learn in, um, I forget what the trade is, it's the one where you make reeded or like flute instruments, bagpipes. Oh, I couldn't for the life of me remember that. <laughs> I, I, I don't, don't I don't even know. Um, so you can... There, basically, there's there's like wood selection, there's um, material manipulation, okay. there's there's a lot of shared language in there. Yes, with with word with woodworking. Yeah, but tillering is the one thing that completely separates them. Okay, uh, that's so, your niche skill. Yeah, that's the niche skill. That's the skill that I charge two hundred dollars a class for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet it, I believe it. Um, well, it's actually for the bow, but. Eh. You know, that's yeah. that's the thing that when I'm when I'm teaching you in a class, that's that's like that's the thing that you are specifically learning. I mean, you're obviously going to learn a whole bunch of mm -hmm. other stuff too, especially if you've never worked with. But that's with, the one with, that really counts. But that's the one that that is singularly a bowyer's job. Gotcha. Um, okay, so where was oh? So I get I get the the bows kind of to that point, and my friends start. Um, buying them. Okay. And then, uh, when I say when I was like 15-ish? Yeah. Or so, um, there was a SCA merchant who has now passed away. Okay. Who wanted to carry some of my bows. He was partnered with another one of my friends, um, Giles, whom I still work with. Yeah. Um, who sells horse bows so if you buy a koshoi or a grosier bow here in the u.s or canada yeah. it's gone through guiles and 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 those particular bows those are uh, of the more uh hungarian slash mongol yep. type step horse archer bows yes, yes. okay um, very, very unique uh design on those very short bows very powerful though but we can get to that in a second yep. well if you were actually if you were to uncoil them they're most of them, with the exception of like a Korean recurve, are actually about the same length as an average long. They're just bent at a more extreme angle. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see. I was you're talking about. Okay. Um, cool. so, so, so you started selling these bows to your friends, and uh, they started giving you feedback, obviously, and you started getting better at it. And yeah. 
and every year at Penzik. <laughs> so there's... What is Penzik, by the way? Okay, so Penzik is sort of like the Renaissance Fair, uh, but everybody's in garb. Okay. Including, like, basically the equivalent of CKC people. I see. Um, and it's a giant SCA event. It's generally um, referred to as, like, the World Cup of the SCA. Okay. There's people that come from freaking Australia and New Zealand to this event in this little itty-bitty town in Pennsylvania. So nerds. Like... Nerds invade a town hard, in Pennsylvania. Hardcore nerds. All right, all right. Hardcore nerds. We're talking like, yeah, like like they, they, they'll criticize if your buttons are wrong or if you're even not, wearing buttons they, and you're not supposed to be are, wearing buttons. They <laughs> are not. Well, okay. Some of them are stitch Nazis. Majority <laughs> okay. of them are not stitch Nazis. All right. Okay. Um, there's it's, and it depends. This is a side tangent. It depends on which kingdom that you're in, but the vast majority or group you're in, but the vast majority of Skadians uh, will not. If you are not, you personally are not in completely period garb. So yeah. Like you've still got jeans on, but you've got a tunic or something like that. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, especially if they're new, you're new. They are not going to rag you for it that's good that's good they are the vast majority of them are there to better their personal appearance okay and yes they'll do things to help you but most of them aren't going to be asses about okay it. in most in, in a mostly didactic way yes, yes. excellent so, so, so Penzik is this kind of like uber gathering of the yes. SCA okay yes. cool uh, it's Roughly ten thousand people invade cool. a tiny little campground for uh, two weeks out of the year. And is that where you first started getting uh, noticed as as a bow maker? No, uh, that's actually where I actually bought my first wooden bow. Okay, uh, was from a company called Elkridge, okay. which is now uh, the the owner is now retiring. Okay, uh, which is really sad because it was his last year this year. Oh. Um. But uh, after I got my bows bounced and yeah. everything like that, I was still reading up and stuff on how to make how to make bows. So I bought a really cheap. Um, we're talking like hundred and twenty dollar red oak and hickory bow. Now, mm -hmm. <laughs> as you've probably heard, I have a vendetta against oak for a bow. I I'm but starting I'll, to get that. I'll, yeah. I'll get that. I'll get to that later. All right. Um, Anyway, uh, so I bought it, I did it, or, you know, I used it, and then that January, it broke. Well, that January was also about the time when I had actually started making bows. Okay. So, the next year, I go back to Penzik. Yeah. And I bring bows that I've brought over to Joe. Okay. Joe is the guy who, um, runs the shop. Alright. And, to describe Joe, he's, he's... A nice guy, but a little rough around the edges. All right. All right. And Cameron speak and Joe speak are not necessarily the same language. All right. Okay. You're using different vernacular, I see. Well, not necessarily different vernacular, but like the, the communication wavelengths aren't necessarily the same. 
And, yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that, yeah. And uh, when I was that young, um, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a total ass to myself. Um, but I was a little shit who wasn't very good at reading body language, tone, yeah. anything like that. Like, just terrible at it. What? Like, you mean your perception isn't as good when you're younger and it turns out it, it, it hones into well, a more accurate it, way as it, you're older? It hones, but there's some people that like just have it naturally. I certainly did not have it naturally. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, so, some things that are instinctual to others, others have to pick up. Yes, and I, it took me very many years to pick it up. Either gotcha. way, so uh, every year I'd, I'd bring it over you know and, and this this happened for several years it still happens basically up until now yeah and i would bring him over and he'd kind of look at him and go, ruff, 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 you know do this ruff, 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 you know kind of thing mm -hmm. um and there is also another bowyer out there as well named yumi or okay. well, at least his shop is named yumi he is named yap copa dryer yeah um but anyway he makes japanese longbows and he does all that kind of stuff well yeah. Um, <laughs> at first he did not want to give me any advice or at least the advice that he gave, gave me was in like little tidbits, you know, like barely anything. And again, breadcrumbs to lead you along. Yes. And sort of the, the grumpy grouchy, well, maybe not grouchy, but just sort of like the curmudgeon type. So he was the Bob McDougal of longbows. I love you, Bob. I don't know who Bob McDougal is. So he, I, he was one of my stage combat teachers. Okay, so <laughs> Bob, I, if you're listening, he'll love you, man. So I, I don't, I don't necessarily know if that's actually a good comparison, but curmudgeonly, yeah, you you had me at curmudgeonly. Okay, yeah, all right. Um, so uh, I get I get various help from them from year to year. Yeah, and I eventually get good enough, and then or get to the point where. Giles says, hey, and, and remember Giles is the guy that imports horse bows and everything yep, like yep. that. Well, one of the other reasons why I was motivated to make my own bows is because I couldn't afford one, one of Giles' bows. Because Giles' bows at that time started at like 400 or so, and then it was another 50 or $60 for a dozen arrows, or if not more. Of course. And I'm like, I'm not that good of an archer. There, I'm gonna lose them. Blah blah blah. Ooh, excuse me. Yep. So being like an eighth generation woodworker and a big DUIer or D DUIer. <laughs> <laughs> this shows how long. DUIer. DUIer. Um, do it yourself. Just say do it yourself, or man, because DUIer is not a thing we want to aspire to be. So yeah. Uh, anyway, being a big D, duh, yeah. <laughs> you got me doing it. <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> being a big do it yourselfer. Yeah, being a big do it yourselfer. Um, I decided to start making them. Well, incidentally, when you decide to make your own bows, you pick up, you know, certain information about bows that may not necessarily be useful for making them but you learn about them yeah such as so well such as the history such as the difference in performance such as the trade-offs that you have stuff with... that you really don't find out until the end product yes. phase of things so i think it would well, it would have been 2007 so it would have been okay. the first year that i went out to penzik by myself okay 
Um, Giles hired me as a shop hand and as, as a fellow salesman. He's been sort of like my mentor as far as shops yeah. are concerned. Well, I should rephrase that. One of my two main mentors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he... Uh, what should we call it? He brought me in as sort of like a shop hand. So I was there mm -hmm. just helping him out, everything like that. I was learning how to be a salesman. Now... Bear in mind, as you've probably met me, I know that your listeners haven't met me, but I am very much a extrovert. Now, mm -hmm. I would personally call myself a ambivert. All right, okay. Um, in that, I need be or I, I like people. I draw energy from people, but I'm also completely fine with doing stuff on my own. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to have that. So I'm. Another way to refer, phrase that is, I am an introvert-friendly extrovert. So I don't... That I, makes sense. That so, makes sense. So, Absolutely. like, the typical thing for judging on introverts is just that, oh, you know, uh, you know, like, say you're an introvert, you've got a bubble. Yeah. And that's your energy. And extroverts are typically like, give me your energy! And, like... like oh, it's like a psychic vampire. In. Yeah, it's like a psychic <laughs> vampire. And okay. I'm like, All right. eh, I don't need your energy. You just like being around is giving me energy like okay. i'm i'm radiating in your ba i'm gotcha. basking in your sunlight <laughs> um so anyway so you're that type of person yeah i'm that type of person <laughs> okay so and then i'm also an actor from from infant age yeah so getting up in front of people talking to large groups of people pff, forget it not a problem yeah it doesn't doesn't phase me whatsoever i mean yeah. i won't say that i don't get stage fright but the stage fright is fairly minimal and i'm just like Meh. it's it's there it's a present thing i accept that it's so that part of like uh, selling your art kind of comes naturally to you yeah okay yeah and um one thing that he was he's taught me is how to I don't know how you'd say it. Persuade people. Okay. So help them see things from your angle. Yeah. Well, yes, but but it's like one of the one of the things that he does is uh, if someone comes by and and his bows are eye catching. Like, yeah. They're freaking eye candy. They're beautiful curves. They're beautiful leather work, beautiful woodwork. I mean, if you've ever seen a freaking horse bow, you understand why. Oh yeah. Um, they're pr they're very pretty. They are very pretty and very 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 rugged. Mm -hmm. Um, but he, what he does is you know it's like you'll you'll read the body language and you'll see you'll see someone kind of like coming by your shop or booth or whatever the hell you got, and you'll see their head to sort of like turn and follow your stuff as they're walking by. And they'll typically sort of gravitate inwards. Well, once you get that, you call them out on it. Yeah. And you get them in. Well, you don't just get them in. What you do is you put something in their hand. And one of his favorite things to do is, is he says, like, are you an archer? Well, yeah. You know, sometimes you'll get mixed reactions. Sometimes he'll be like, yeah, or I'd like to be, but I'm not, or I'm not really an archer at all, but... Fuck it, I'll try it. Gives um, some people. It gives people who aren't something to aspire to. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, that um, makes sense. That makes sense. And he'll he'll put it in their handle and he'll say, "Here, draw it." And he'll and you know they'll draw it and, and you get this. So for the experienced archers, they're they their eye their eyes bulge and their jaw drops and they're just like, "Oh." oh, oh. Because mm-hmm. people who know what they're looking for. Well, yeah, because drawing drawing a horse bow, it, if it's done right, anyways, yeah, should be a relatively consistent and smooth stack of weight. Now, okay, when I say when, stacking, I mean yeah. um, as a bow is drawn, at least with we'll, we'll take long bows for example. Yeah, uh, imagine sort of like a hockey stick in the amount of of cur or amount of poundage that they they put on so it sort of increases of, exponentially yeah it, well not quite exponentially but it, but there's a distinct okay distinct, like a very sharp curve well not even a very sharp curve it's, okay but it is a distinct curve to it it's not it's not a, a linear projection gotcha gotcha uh, which on a side note that maybe another whole entire podcast <laughs> all right all right uh well uh, save that for part two yeah a lot of people assume that if you scale a bow up or down to get whatever you're trying to test for it will produce the same results i have found this to be no fucking way okay it doesn't do that it's right. not a linear path if you assume that it's a linear path you will Fuck up your experiment. Okay. Big time. Good to know. Good to know. So horse bows, you say, have a very yeah. particular stack of weight. So, so horse bows have this have a stack of weight where um, it's a fairly even, like, five pounds for every inch that you draw it. It's 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 a relatively straight line. It still kind of curves a little bit. But, but In a predictable manner. It, yeah. But it's it's pretty straight on the, on the graph. Okay. If you take a long bow... A longbow, if it's tillered right, should have a nice even bowing curve. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if you don't tiller a longbow correctly, it has basically flatline, 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 and then spike. Ooh, okay, um, okay. Because it ha- it hits what's called a stacking point, and a stacking point is the point on the bow where the bow really doesn't want to bend anymore. I got you. So we're approaching um, the structural limit of how yes. it can bend. And um, with a horse bow, you don't really have that stacking point. Really? Okay. Because with the way the horse bow is, horse bow is set up yeah. is just that when, when it bends out, like if you were to draw it any farther, basically the string would flop off the ends i see okay because you can only bend it so far whereas if you do the same thing with a longbow you or a flat bow or whatever yeah um you essentially would collapse the limbs gotcha and then the limbs would splinter before the string gives out or whatever yeah. but with the horse bow it's the opposite so uh and and, and i say this in relative terms because a horse bow like the notches are cut deep enough that it's not going. The string's not going anywhere. But that's essentially what would happen. Now, now th- those of you who are uh, uh, confused by our terminology here, we're talking about a horse bow as in like a much shorter in terms of length when strung uh, mm-hmm. bow, 
that is much more manageable to use a horse. Now, a longbow is much more used by, say, infantry, if we're talking warfare, or just on foot if you're, say, hunting or something like yeah. that, you know? So, um, y your experience is mostly with regards to the bows that you make is uh, on the longbow end of things, but you know quite a lot about horse bows, it seems. Yeah. So, uh, now, those are... Uh, if I if I have my terminology correct as well, uh, composite construction. So they have a kind yep. of a laminate of uh, a nice sandwich of materials. Yep. So all, well, first I, I'm going to do well, not really a correction per se, but oh, I'm, please correct. I stand I'm to be corrected. To, You're the expert here, I am man. going to add something. You can actually shoot a longbow from a horse. Oh, okay. The one problem is, is that you were relegated to your left side if you're a right-handed That's archer, true. I mean, the Yumi, right side. they were used on horseback, and they have yep. to... Okay, yeah. Especially that, in... I stand corrected. Yep. Especially in military maneuvers called chevauchets. Okay. Which is, imagine sort of like a blitzkrieg, but instead of trying to conquer everything really fast, you're trying to burn everything really fast. Okay. You cut basically this big freaking swath of charred territory where you've ravaged, pillaged, burned, whatever. Yeah. Through the countryside, and you're trying to get your your enemy to come out of their castle and fight you. Ah, the Tywin Lannister then, strategy. <laughs> actually, very much the Tywin Lannister strategy. Yes, I did my homework um, here. <laughs> Well, I mean, apart from Tywin Lannister likes to do a lot of things. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, Tywin Lannister, uh, sub-note, uh, is pro... You know, everybody equates him to uh, the Lord of Lancaster during the Hundred Years' War. Or, oh, yeah. Hundred Years' War, the, the War of the Roses. Uh, I see. I, but, I compare him a lot to Sulla in Roman times, but that's just me. But go yeah. ahead. Um, but he's actually significant, well, at least in my humble opinion... Is significantly closer to Edward the Third. Really, the Black Prince, or is that no? That's I'm... Edward the Fourth. Ah, Edward the Third is the father of the Black Prince. Okay, who um, uh, was most famous for his chevalchets. Really, and so he... is the idea that you're firing a whole bunch of fire arrows from horses? Then not necessarily. Or... Okay. I mean, sometimes it's just you light it. You know, you light buildings on fire and everything like that. Or I you see. light fields on fire. So the, property destruction is the yeah, goal. The whole point, or the whole, like, plan is, is that you spread out into a relatively thin line of, we'll call them skirmishers, roughly a mile or, or like, three wide, right? Yeah. And you move very progressively up, you know... A region or a field or whatever, and you smash, burn, destroy in any possible way the things as you go by. So, like when you go to like a village that has a well and they've got a lot of cows that are still around, you kill a cow, you dump the cow down the well, the cow, the well is poisoned. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Two birds, they, one stone. <laughs> they, they were ruthless. So, uh, Tywin Lannister does a lot of the very similar stuff, but there is. Um, calculation in his brutality. Yeah. He is being brutal... For effect. For Well, for effect, but also to save lives. Interesting. Tywin Lannister is very much a utilitarian. Okay. 
I'm, I'm reading a lot of William Tecumseh Sherman in a lot of this because it's like, you know, I guess it's the idea of you make it horrible in a very specific fashion and in a targeted manner so that you end the conflict quickly. It's uh, also a very Helmut von Moltke strategy yeah. if we're talking World War One here. So a cheval shade then, it, it relies a lot on specifically guys firing longbows from horses or does that just really help? It it helps and part of the reason why, why you see that maneuver... Or you, you see mounted archers shooting from, uh, or shooting longbows from horses is is that it's very much a blitzkrieg type thing. I see. So you have a skirmisher with a, you know, with a couple fire arrows or whatever, and they light their arrow, they gallop out into like a field or whatever, they shoot it up. And it goes into a haystack and lights there we the go. granary on fire or whatever. Because everything is made of wood now. <laughs> well, not necessarily everything, but but enough stuff is made out of wood to or combustibles. Yeah, or yeah. or combustibles or whatever. You know, some way to destroy, burn, or whatever. Yeah. So, anyway, that's a shovel shame, um, and that's why yes, you can shoot longbows from horses. All right. So coming back to our original thing, yeah. though. Um, so the uh, I. I, I, I really love the longbow, and as you know, a descendant yeah. of Englishmen, um, I, I, I consider it kind of my Wait, duty. So you're, you're, you're a descendant of Englishmen? As it turns, yeah, both both my parents are English. Dude, yeah. I thought you were Martian. Ah! <laughs> no, that's Dan Carlin. It's Dan Carlin. No, um, <laughs> love you, Dan. No, no. Uh, the so so while I consider the longbow part of my heritage, you know, uh, the 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 kind of archery that really fascinates me is the horsebow, specifically that kind of practice or the uh, the horseback archery practiced by people like the Turks and the Mongols. Yeah. You know, and um, so uh, please, I want to check some myths against you okay. here. So, is it true that the long that the Mongol uh, horsebow was around two hundred pounds pull? Oh, that's bullshit. Is it? Okay. All yeah. right. Um, so, where a bow tops out at um, in its efficiency. Longbow, okay. recurve. In terms of energy stored. Yeah, in terms of energy stored. Longbow, recurve, um, compound, horsebow, yeah. whatever the fuck. Yeah. It tops out at 120 pounds. Okay. So, you can get heavier bows, and you, yes, you will get more penetration a little bit more distance you'll be able to shoot a heavier shaft okay but your bell curve if you will the graph yeah. has started to plateau i see so at a certain point there's no point in adding draw weight to your bow because it ain't gonna do it you're not gonna okay i see so like some of the bows on like the mary rose some of the bows um, in various places, yes, are 200 pounds, but they're really, really rare. Now, there is such a thing called a foot bow, which can get up to like 300 pounds. And think of like the movie Hero, where you see... You literally see guys holding it with their two feet outwards and yep. drawing it back with both arms. And that is that is called a foot bow. Oh, okay. So and those actually existed. Those actually existed, and there's a whole... Um, so... There's, there's like three subcategories of, of sport archery these days. There's, yeah. there's target archery, yeah, which is just shooting paper for at whatever ranges. Okay. There's, and that can also be like roving marks kind of thing. Okay. But roving marks tends to fit into a category called flight archery. Okay. Where the goal is not necessarily accuracy as it is distance i see okay and 
there's a whole division inside flight archery that is specifically dedicated to foot bows. Huh. Because foot bows, if you put a flight arrow on it, think of like visualizing, like think of like a lo- uh, uh, throwing dart that you then pinch on both ends and then drag okay. out. So we're talking long fletching, long... No, 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 no. Oh. Very, very short, very small fletching, about the, oh, about oh, the size okay. of my thumbnail. Oh, oh, damn, okay. And the tip is usually just a footed shaft, so it means that it's got a spliced piece of wood on there. And that spliced piece of wood is just honed down into a very sharp point. It doesn't actually have any metal on it. Oh, okay. And... Um, with these foot bows, you can get up to two miles. Wow. Out of... Two miles. Yeah, and I may be exaggerating slightly, but multiple increments of mileage. Yeah. Um, Which, of course, doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't know what you're actually hitting. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you have several thousand people doing it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and bear in mind that, that a, a flight arrow... If it were to hit you, yeah, at close range, it would blow right through you. Yeah. But it would leave a hole at its widest point, the thickness of my pinky. Oh, at okay. At its widest point. I see. Um, so I, I wouldn't want to be hit with no, one, but I it's not going to necessarily be the worst thing, especially no. if I'm wearing armor or something. Yeah, it would it would just ping off you if you're wearing armor. Okay, cool. So so, so, so the point is then that, uh, you know, things tend to plateau after 120 pounds. Yeah. So next myth that I want to, uh, or let, ne- next thing that I kind of want to tackle, is it uh, is it true that uh, Mongol horse archers, when they were riding and shooting, uh, di- did they wait for that precise moment in the horse's gallop when all four feet were off the ground in order to then... And release their arrow. That's something that you'd have to ask an equestrian archer about. But, okay, all right. Um, my my suspicion is yes, probably. Yeah. But I don't actually know. I've never done horse archery, so. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, Neither have I yet. <laughs> I, I can I can link you to a couple people that would know. Okay, I'd love to talk to I them too. I personally don't. I will find this out. Yes. Because it seems like such an improbable thing. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to like. Place my uh, place myself in. I've ridden horses before, and I've shot bows before. I have not done both at the same time, but like it, it, it seems to me that I don't know. It's like if I were to try and pick it up now and dedicate the next ten years to doing it, I might be able to attain that. But also, if I was taught like Mongol children were from the age of six in the saddle, you'd also need a horse too. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and a horse that has the tolerance for that, which are not not super common i mean it takes it takes training of course but but there's some horses that just will never do that like um a lot of it uh arabian horses don't don't and will not do tolerate that really interesting yeah good to know good to know um (laughs) ones that you'd want were would be like quarter horses or morgans or canadians or Whatever kind of horses they have on the step, I imagine they. Well, yeah, I mean, but but there's there's ones that are more slightly more tolerant breeds. I mean, it's it's like the difference between like a Doberman and a Black Lab or something like that. Makes sense. Makes sense. So then, uh, kind of keeping in the vein of history here, yep. uh, what? How deeply have you kind of delved into the history of archery? Is it just kind of? I have my BA in it. Oh, fantastic! Okay, 
so how deeply as he delved into that tree. Oh, well, he's good, only good. Got his BA. So, all right, then I feel, I feel, uh, I feel okay <laughs> to ask you then. Like, what was the, uh, what was the first uh, culture that really grasped the use of uh, the bow as a military technology on mass? Oh, was that well, the Babylonians, or was it even further than that? Uh, well, the ones that I know, well, it it depends on when you you start talking about bows in a warfare perspective because there's some cultures that we really don't know how much they use we know that they had them we know that um from some of the bodies like for example otzi the Iceman, he had arrows embedded in his oh and uh, we're talking neolithic his, yeah he had arrows embedded underneath his uh scapula so underneath his shoulder blades yeah so we know that they were using them to at least kill other people. Yeah. But the question is, is that on mass or is that just yeah. like we're hunting down this guy that pissed us off? Yeah. I suppose in an organized military context. Yeah. Um Oh, you got me, man. Um I mean, hell, the Sumerians, probably. Yeah, there's the Sumerians, <laughs> there's the Scythians, there's... Yeah. Um, it's really as old as warfare itself in, a, in an organized just, sense. Yeah, just about. Um, you've yeah. got the Trojans, uh, you've got uh, the Persians. <sighs> brief, brief, I'm yeah. sorry, I gotta right. make a brief uh, si sidestep here. Uh, so, uh, interesting thing about uh, root words uh, within the English language, and uh -huh. many of them coming from Latin, some of them coming from Greek, right? The word toxic actually comes from the Greek word toxon, which means bow, if I may remember correctly, uh, because of the myth taxis. of her. Well, uh, the, the, the myth of Hercules dipping his arrows in the blood of the Hydra in order to take on his next beast in his labors, I guess. Uh, I could have that completely wrong, Possibly? but it makes I've, a great story. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not super familiar with the... Actually, I'm not super familiar with the Greek myth, but Taxos uh, comes from uh, the word for uh, bow tree. Oh. So... Um, when so for example there's a book called taxus philos taxus philos which is uh love of the lover of the bow or, okay you know roughly translated um and that's actually a, a very good book i highly recommend it okay it's written in tudor english so oh. beware all right <laughs> um but it talks about you know why archery should become a thing in england again about the time of Henry VIII. Okay, all right. Uh, because um, it had been dying out at that point in time as far as military context goes. Now, a lot of people credit um, the waning of archery to the invention of guns and the development of better armor. Yeah. Well... Not exactly? Not exactly. Um, what it... Probably one of the largest single factors. Now, bear in mind that there's a bunch of different factors. Of course, but, all converging together. Yeah, all converging together. But one of the largest is a lack of material to make bows. Really? They had just about harvested out all the good wood, or good yew wood, in Western Europe. They were going as far as Poland, which Poland didn't exactly have the best quality yeah. yew trees. Um, but they were going as far as Poland and Russia and Estonia to get their their yew wood. I see. Because um, they had been they had been harvesting it out and like 
it, it's it's sort of like uh, uh, have you seen the movie The Lorax or read the book The Lorax? Oh, years ago. Okay, so the premise is is that there's like the the main character of the Lorax um, speaks for the trees. No, no, the Lorax speaks for the trees. The main character in the movie oh, The Lorax okay. Okay. does not. He fought, makes a thing called a thneed, which is like a sweater type thing. Yeah. But he uses a truffle up tree, and the speed and the demand for the thneeds outstrips what the truffle up trees can do, and they eventually wipe out all the truffle up trees. So same here with bows and yew trees. Exactly. Okay. So. There's a lot of people who go, oh, I'll use this super rare wood. That is absolute fucking bullshit. It's just been farmed into almost extinction. No, no, it hasn't. It is a fucking weed tree. It will grow anywhere. Okay. Literally anywhere. Oh, okay. Um, it is it is a prehistoric plant, and it is one of the few life forms on the planet that can live forever. Really? It has no telomeres. Interesting. It will just keep growing and growing and growing. There okay. Is a yew, there is a yew tree in... Um, England that is four acres. Jesus. It is a series of smaller shoots, but it is all technically the same tree. Wow, okay. I, that blows my mind yeah. a little bit. So it, it's not like this one big giant trunk and it's the world tree. But all the same, but, people were harvesting the wood faster than it could grow. Yeah. And with with you wood, um, Yew wood is a good wood for bows for two reasons. Okay. One, it has high connectivity. It means that the the growth rings and the cells are interlocking. Okay. So they don't want to pull apart. Another thing is is that it's got a really good lamination or self lamination of very hard, hard to compress uh, heartwood and very soft, stretchy sapwood. I see. So the heartwood being the stuff that's near the core of the bow that forms the kind of the structural spine, yeah, if that makes... it forms the inside of the curve of the bow, and then the sapwood, or the outside of the tree, forms the outside of the bow. All right. Now... You see, this what, what this reminds me of is, like, making Japanese swords and how you have a different kind of steel for the exactly. core and a different kind of steel for the exactly. edge of the blade. Interesting. Yeah, okay. So, the thing with uh, the... Um, you or thing with you wood or just about any other wood of its general type. So there's yeah. three types of, of bow woods, kind of on a subtangent. Yeah. There's high connectivity woods. And oh by the way, they aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, but there's three sort of uh uh not diagrams. Um designs? No. Uh Models. No, uh, groups. Um, Subtypes. Paradigms. There's okay. three three paradigms of, of I knew we'd get the of word eventually, yeah. Of, of bowwood. Okay. So there's high connectivity, which means that um, the wood doesn't want to pull apart. Think of, like, trying to split a log of elm. Mm. Um, you know, like, it's stringy, it doesn't want to pull apart. The fibers are very The fibers are very interlocked. Okay. Yeah. Um, high silica wood so that's osage purple heart yellow heart stuff like that All right. they are also very very hard but they can split but 
what makes them such good bow woods is is that the wood itself pulls up minerals from the ground and inserts them into the wood cells and it I creates see. sort of like this kind of a glass type substance interesting inside the wood uh, that's really really hard on tools so uh, like a you, natural kind of binding resin yes, yes. all right okay um, and then you have high resin bows okay or high resin woods so high resin woods are of course you would yeah. there's um, uh, walnut there's Alaskan yellow cedar there's a variety of, of cedars, junipers, yep. blah, 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 blah. So those are all high resin woods. Now, the thing about high resin woods is that, yes, where they physically grow fast, so like you would, it, it grows really fast. Mm -hmm. like, you, like you said, it's a weed. Almost. It's a weed. Um, but in order for it to make a good bow, it has to lay down enough taxol. I see. Or taxane, sorry. Taxol is the... the drug that they make from it. Taxane is the actual okay. resin. Now taxane, remember how I was talking about how the how U wood has that, that really good lamination and then it also has um, the high connectivity. Okay. But also and I would say even more importantly than the other two is it has the taxane. And what the taxane does is it sits inside the wood cell and prevents the wood cell from compressing. Okay. Now, unlike the high silica woods, where the the um, mineral-ish substance that, that's in the wood cell, that's actually heavier and harder than the wood cell. Whereas high resin woods, it is lighter than the wood cell. I see. And the wood cell, incidentally, is also already really, really light. So you have when when it's compressed, it doesn't want to compress. But then when it expands, it expands rapidly, and you don't have the weight of the bow limbs retarding the cast of the bow. So you have more energy um, placed from the bow, or from the string of the bow, into the arrow. So you get a much, much superior shot. So give you, to give you kind of a reference, in, if I make, um, say, two bows, roughly the same design, yeah. One is out of ash, the other one is out of um, uh, you wood. Okay. And I just do a distance shot. We'll say whatever distance I can make it at. 200 yards. 200 yards. Um, all things being equal. So design, draw weight, physical weight, everything. The U-bow is going to out shoot that ash bow by almost 70%. I see. And the ash bow, by the way, is a really good fucking bow. Nothing to be sneezed at, but the U-bow is going to outstrip it completely. I see. So That's, what you're saying is, well, while I might be able to make a shot at 200 yards with both bows, I might be able to much more reliably could, make an accurate shot with the U-bow from 200 yards. Well, you'd actually probably be able to get a shot that would would land a, a, a arrow in somebody at that range. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's what the but, English longbowman cared about. But but another another thing to put in point of fact is so like just any range, not not a set range like 200 yards, yeah. but like 
if I'm just trying to see how far I can get, okay. all things being equal, if I shoot, say, a 50 pound bow, now this is just random numbers, it's not an actual like, mathematical thing. Say I shoot, they're both 50 pound bows. The ash bow is probably going to get probably about, give or take, 170 to 200 yards. I see. Okay. The U bow is going to get probably 250 or 260 yards. I see. So almost 100 yards, almost an entire football field more than the ash bow. I see. I see. So what you're talking about is that like the, 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 the great advantage of the U bow is that it allows to make the most of its um its weight in material i guess in that yep. case it's it's the most efficient material that it's you can it's the most naturally available efficient material now it's enough but so so and what you're saying is that the problem is that you have to let this wood mature a little bit more before you harvest it in yep. order to make anywhere of a halfway decent bow yes and the problem is is that you a lot of people don't don't wait for that i see and as a as a bowyer, you can tell if someone's cut cut a stave too early because mm -hmm. there's a there's a physical weight difference. I see. So this is something that I I did when I was a apprentice. Was my my master would show me like two two staves, and he'd say which which one is the better one. Now bear in mind these were for most part equal. Sometimes they'd have like a nod or something like that in them, but that was that part was relatively irrelevant because you can work around a knot. Um, it's it's actually a subcategory of bow making. Okay, it's being able to take subpar wood and make make really, really polish that turd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make really beautiful, very, very, very efficient bows. Excellent. Out of what would be otherwise junk. Um, but uh, one of the tests that he sort of gave me was. He gave me these two absolutely beautiful, clean staves. And he said, "Which one is the better stave?" So I'm looking through it. You know, they've, you know, they've got the the magical 40 growth rings per inch. Which, yeah. by the way, if you know how a tree grows, you'd realize that 40 growth rings means absolutely fucking nothing. All right. Because trees, especially yew trees can lay down multiple growth ring cycles per year. So there's yep. two growth rings per year. There's an early growth and a late growth. Sometimes trees can lay down like five or six of them if they're like really lucky. That's why when you yep. when you uh, do a like a uh, ring tap or something to try and judge how old the tree is, it can only you can only guesstimate. You cannot say for a fact yes, this tree is X number of years old, you can say, well, this tree is probably like mm, yeah. 300 years old because there's, you know, 600 growth rings. Yep. But you can't, with absolute certainty, do that unless there's like uh, radiocarbon dating that you can do on some of the growth rings and you can say, oh, well... And Krakatoa, that's max of effort. <laughs> yeah. Like, Krakatoa went off at this time, so we know from yeah, this yeah. time it... It, you know, it had like an ash, ash particles in that ring, and then it, you know, 
the nuclear testing was at this period. So we know when Krakatoa yeah. and that it was so many years. So that's how many growth rates. So, but what you're saying is to, to differentiate the good stave from the bad stave, you, you had to measure just the weight then. Yeah, and that was, and admittedly, it was totally subjective because it was literally like taking them in both my hands and and feeling the the physical weight. I see. I see. But there's other ways that you can test it. You can basically not really drop it on the ground, but you lift it up a couple of inches and you drop it. Yeah. And it will make a different sound. Huh. I can't I can't really it, it, describe it to you. Unless we were to record the sounds of both of them. We don't yeah, have right now, unfortunately. I, You're gonna have to take I, our word for it, listeners. Yeah, and I don't know if the, the microphone would actually even pick it up. And I don't know if I'd be able to go through and say I That's imagine the exact I sound. imagine it's one of those things that can only be discerned after years of very specific expertise. Well, yeah, or you just have a example of one really good one and one really bad one. Indeed, indeed. Which is what I had. Well, I, I, I got to ask you, we're coming kind of to the end of this hour yeah. here, uh, and uh, I would love to talk with you more, man. And we we're can always to, do more. We can always do a part two. <laughs> we can always do a part two, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, uh, I got to ask, so uh, where can people find your work? Uh, what, what, what What's your company? Where can people get a hold of you and uh, see your uh, your art? Yeah. You know, this is because this these are art. I have shot your bows before. Um, I've been at the Renaissance Festival here a couple of years, and uh, for most of those years, I've shot your bows at uh, the at the archery competition here, which I think pretty exclusive. I don't think I've ever shot a bow at the archery competition that wasn't yours. <laughs> um, so, and I've always been on your team, the, the Gray Goose archery team. Yeah. Now, um, uh, so I gotta say that, like from my own personal experience, they are. Beautiful, you know uh, the, uh, the the bow that I shot was a sixty-five pound English longbow. At least it, not this year, but the year the years previous. Yeah, this time um, he shot a fifty-pound U-bow. Yeah, oh, and let <laughs> me tell you, it was more than I deserved. I, I don't think I made very. I don't think I made uh, uh, enough of it for my meager experience. It's like a fine wine or a brandy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know, um, I've seen everything from like a very deep red core, you know, to the kind of the almost black core that the 65-pounder had, you know, um, they're, they're beautiful works of art, man. Uh, so where can people find that? So, uh, well, one, Grey Goose Bows at Facebook.com. That's G-R-E-Y. Yes. Okay. And and there's, a, so this is kind of a fun, fun story to why I named my company Grey Goose Bows. Yeah. So because I specialize in primarily English and European longbows. Yeah. Um, during the Middle Ages, they used to fletch their arrows with gray geese fletching. All right. And so, for all the like super like crazy archery nerds out there that know what know what they're um, talking about, or know what they're looking for, and they see that I spelt the name gray with G R E Y. Yep. That's the English way of spelling it. Exactly the correct so way. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's the subtle way of saying I make. English and European style longbows. Now, of course, I make a wide variety of other bows. I make Yumi's. I make. I'm starting to make uh, horse bows. Excellent. I'm, you know, I make Dakota short bows from the upper Midwest here. I make Ojibwe bows. I've made a couple other indigenous indigenous um, bows. Yeah. But and Sami's. I, I, I do make Sami recurves. Uh, anyway, um, where was I going? So, where can people find stuff? Yeah, so that's that's how I got yeah. got the 
got the name. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you can find my stuff on on uh, Facebook, which is Greg Goose at Facebook.com. Um, you can also find it on Etsy, although that's a little bit harder to find. Yeah. Uh, but it is there. Um, and I, I'm not really good at maintaining that site anymore. Yeah. So, so probably the best way to get in contact with you is through the Facebook page yeah, then. Yeah, the best way is that or um, call my shop, which is uh, 651-644-6354. All right. Um, I teach bow making classes. Indeed. And you also make arrows. And I also make arrows. And I specialize, or I don't specialize, but one of my subspecialties is tall bows for tall people. All so right. So we're talking about like six foot seven, six foot four, people that have like a 34 inch draw length or longer. The big and tall section, I see. Yeah, the big and tall section. The largest arrows that I've made are 40 inches. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's a lot. They're long. Damn. Very, very long. All right, all right. So if you are a half Thor Julius Bjornsson and you want a bow, contact Cameron Weir. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, thank you so much for being a part of this. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. And uh, uh, before we go here, just kind of, I want you to give me a best and worst. Um, we, we love movies here. I know you're a big movie fan as well as I am. Uh, and, uh, you know, so our, our tastes align in that uh, regard. So I got to ask, like, uh, what movie do you think has done archery or portrayed archery in the military sense, I suppose, uh, the worst? And what do you think has done a halfway decent job, at least? Um, the worst well, first. Okay, the well, the, where, uh, there's a lot. There's, <laughs> I know, I understand. Doozies. That's a big, that's a big category. Doozies. Um... Uh, I don't know. I guess it's. I guess it would be a tie between. Um, it's not. It's not the Troy with. Um, what's his face? Is that it? Yeah, it's not the most recent one. Okay. It's like one from like the seventies. Oh, I see. It has really bad archery. Mm. Um. And then there's. There's also the the um, Robin Hood with Kevin Costner. Oh yeah. Uh, there there were so many problems with with how they. I like to call it the Brian Adams Robin Hood. Because yeah. <laughs> that damn they, song. They had all so get this. They had all U bows. Yeah. And the bowyer said, "Oh yeah, you can just leave them strong." I'm like, what? The what? Fuck. Yeah. The, uh, listeners, listeners, if you ever have a traditionally made bow... If you bow, have a wooden bow, do not leave it strong. Do not leave it strong. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Uh, anyway... Uh, on the better end of things. On the better end of things, it would be a tie between um, Brave and the Russell Crowe Robin Hood. Oh, really? I have not seen the Russell Crowe Robin Hood, but... The Russell Crowe Robin Hood has many, many, many anachronisms and more an, an iffy plot and storyline but the archery in that movie is fucking amazing all right all they right. do the job of actually getting the sound that a u-bow makes when it's shot so a u-bow does not make the same sound as any other bow it's, it has a certain reverberation mm-hmm. a certain hum i noticed that when i was yeah. shooting it last weekend yeah yeah so uh, they actually went 
through and made that hum, and I think they're on their way back. So we're <laughs> it's all right. Go. Well, it's um, a good thing we're wrapping up anyway. Yeah, exactly. So they they made sure to get that sound. They give made Marion and a couple other people actual U-bows. Oh, excellent. Um, so. I'll have to check that out, yeah. man. But hey, um, uh, Cameron Weir, thank you so much for joining me. Yep. I really appreciate it. You can't hear it, but we just shook hands. It was great. Yep. Anyway, uh, Fightcast listeners, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side, everybody. Take care and fight for each other, all right? Take care. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and conquer. <laughs>